Welcome to the Activist Files, the Center for Constitutional Rights podcast. I'm Ian Head, and I'm here with my co-host, Elise Hussain. Hi, Ian, and hi, listeners. Just a friendly reminder to those of you tuning in to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, share it with your friends, and um, rate us, and feel free to leave a comment. We have another great episode this month. Staff Attorney Pam Spees spoke with two of our incredible allies from Louisiana who are fighting for environmental and racial justice down south. So please enjoy. Hello, my name is Pam Spees, and I'm a senior staff attorney here at the Center for Constitutional Rights. And we are very fortunate and honored to be joined by some of our colleagues from Louisiana, Sharon Levine and Lydia Gerard, who have emerged as leaders in their communities who are fighting different arms of the petrochemical industry in Louisiana. They both hail from towns in Louisiana that are situated in what has been known as Cancer Alley for a very long time. And Cancer Alley is an 85-mile stretch of river between Baton Rouge and New Orleans, which is heavily populated with oil and gas petrochemical companies that have been situated in largely African-American communities. And there have been struggles for environmental justice dating back decades. Once it became clear that there were very serious and negative health impacts on people in the communities along the way. And Lydia and Sharon are leaders who've emerged who are continuing that decades-long struggle, and so we're very fortunate to have them here. They're here with us in New York because of a series of short films that they and five other women have done to tell their individual stories that also paint a broader picture of what's going on right now in Cancer Alley. And we're doing this at a time, it's, where are we? It's Thursday, April 18th, 2019. We are four days away from Earth Day. Um, there's a lot of discussion about climate change in the world, and, and now there's discussion of a Green New Deal. And yet these folks in these communities, for them, the climate changed a long time ago. And they've got a story to tell as people are thinking about these issues. And so my first question to both of you is, why did you decide to start to tell this story now and make these films, and what do you hope to see happen with them? My name is Sharon Levine, and I'm from St. James, Louisiana. I started to work with this when I found out that a $9.4 billion industry was coming a mile and a half from where I live. That's when I became angry because we already bombarded with 10 chemical plants within a seven-mile radius. And I feel like adding another one to where I live, I just couldn't take it. And after my grandson was sick, when he couldn't breathe, that started me to fight even more. And my granddaughter couldn't breathe. And as I would pass next to one of the chemical plants, there would be a smell in the air, and it would make my stomach upset. And whenever you pass by that plant, like one, two o'clock in the morning, it's like a white fog that's over the highway. And I was told that whenever we have a, an odor or smell in the air, they give us a toll-free number to call. I've called that number so many times, and nothing has happened. 
And one of the reasons why I started this is because of health issues. So many people have died from cancer. So many people are still dying from cancer, not knowing what caused the cancer rates in our area. But after I started working with an organization and started to learn more about this, I feel like it's coming from the chemical plants. And that's one reason why I started to fight. My name is Lydia Gerard, <clears throat> and I'm from St. John the Baptist Parish. And my fight increased with the death of my husband, Walter, in the last year, in 2000, June of 2018, from kidney cancer. We started going to meetings and learning about the high emissions of chloroprene from a plant in my area, four streets from where I live, and that's the Dinka plant. And as Sharon said, when you look around, there's so many people that's died of cancer, or suffering with cancer. It makes you stop and wonder what's going on, where is this coming from? Not only cancer, there are other types of illnesses that people have that sometimes unexplainable, you know, kids with so many respiratory problems and finding out the information that we did of the uh, high emissions of this one particular chemical, not even studying the others. There are 29 chemicals that are being released from this one plant. Chloroprene was the last one that they classified as uh, likely carcinogen. So that's the one that we've been focusing on for the last two and a half years to get the plant mm -hmm. to reduce emissions. And in Dinka, the facility there that is emitting this chloroprene, the EPA has said that the exposure risk is, what, 800 times? 800 times. Uh, our area is has the highest cancer risk in the country, and that particular mm -hmm. plant that's the only one in the country that produces this particular, the neoprene, which uses the chlor chloroprene mm -hmm. um, in production. And what has the EPA said in terms of how it can regulate or affect this? Not a lot. There's a standard of 0 0.2 micrograms per cubic meter that's supposed to be a safe level. But they're telling us that even though that's a recommended standard, mm -hmm. they can't enforce it. Mm -hmm. So the plant is always saying they're in compliance, which mm -hmm. they are. When EPA is telling you they can't enforce that standard, the plant has also admitted that they would never be able to get down to 0 0.2 mm -hmm. micrograms per cubic meter. Mm -hmm. So it's a sad situation, but we're not giving up. We're going to continue to fight because it's supposed to be, what is it, environmental protection? Mm -hmm. You know, they're supposed to be protecting the environment. So we're going to hold them to that. Now, a lot of times, I know you, you all get questions about, well, if it's so bad, why don't you just leave? And what are your answers to people when you get those questions? And I'm particularly interested in what your family histories are in that area. Can you speak to that, Lydia? Uh, yes. We were there before the plant got there. Mm -hmm. The property that my great-grandfather left for me is my legacy, so why should I give it up? Why should I be the one to move? They came there and found me there. Mm -hmm. There's a rich history of my family being in that area mm -hmm. for you know generations. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to leave. Mm -hmm. How about you, Sharon? Over in St. James, uh, my grandfather, the property that I live on right now, that was my grandfather. That's the land that he bought and had gardens raised chickens and animals. 
And I feel like that's ancestral land. And the land that I grew up on, my, my father bought that land. We have about 20 acres over there. Then the other part of St. James, which is convent, my great-great-grandfather bought that land back in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they left the land for us. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to give it up. Mm-hmm. I feel like Lydia feels, why should I give up the land that my great-great-grandparents left for me? Mm-hmm. And I want to leave it for my children and my mm-hmm. grandchildren. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to give it up. Just like she said, I was there first. So why should I have to leave to let them come in and take what we have? The land is already depreciated. They're polluting us, and they expect us to just pack up and leave. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. And just for listeners who aren't familiar with that area, and just to be very clear, mm-hmm. this was land along the Mississippi River that was um, run by plantations yes. during slavery, yes. right? And so you have land in your family that goes back to the 1800s. It's, yes. There's a deep historical significance there, yes. and it's very profound, the struggle that you're waging. What has been the response of state officials? For instance, if you called on the governor or others, have you been raising these issues with state agencies and the governor, and what has been the response from the state so far? For instance, in St. James, you mentioned the $9.3 billion plastics plant, which is the Formosa facility. What has been the response when you all have been raising these concerns? Well, the organization that I'm in right now, we wrote a letter to the governor and to the Louisiana LDEQ and also to President Trump. We haven't gotten an answer yet. The organization that I'm in, we are trying to make awareness of what's going on and we are trying, we're still trying to reach out to the governor. Mm-hmm. We're trying to have a meeting with him just to mm-hmm. explain to him how we feel about our land and asking him not to let this $9.4 billion industry come into our town, which mm-hmm. is St. James. Mm-hmm. And we haven't gotten a response yet. Okay. So we're planning to have a march on May 30th for five days. And we're hoping that the governor would speak with us. Mm-hmm. On the fifth day, we plan to lobby on the steps of the state capitol, mm-hmm. asking him to speak with us. Mm-hmm. And we're hoping we'd be successful mm-hmm. with that march. But that march is to bring awareness to what's going on from St. John Parish to East Baton Rouge Parish. Mm-hmm. And we're asking people to come out and help us and support us with the march. We think that the march would be an impact on what we're trying to do, hoping it be successful. And Lydia, in St. John the Baptist Parish with the Denka facility, you all have been fighting that for, what, three years now. What has been the response of the head of, for instance, the Department of Environmental Quality in Louisiana? Well, Department of Environmental Quality, Mr. Chuck Carr Brown, has called us in open meetings fear mongers. But the EPA and LDEQ came out to our parish in 2016, had a meeting with the community, and told us about the high cancer risk in our area Mm -hmm. because of this facility. Mm -hmm. And because we are spreading the word and getting the word out to the people in the community, letting them know what's going on, he calls us fear mongers. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm always saying, wouldn't you be fearful if you live here and this is what you found out? And for him to openly, you know, call us names, I think that was very disrespectful and I don't 
appreciated. I don't think anybody else in that area did either. There's been no help from him. Well, the LDEQ and the Dinka facility came into agreement for an order on consent to put in four processes that would reduce the emissions from the plant. And they voluntarily did that, mm-hmm. according to them. Mm-hmm. But had it not been for the organization that we formed as a result of that meeting called Concerned Citizens of St. John, I don't think anything would have been done that soon, if anything, because we were told that some of the equipment, a thermal generator, they had one just laying around in the yard and they decided to put it in, mm-hmm. you know, up and running. Mm-hmm. Well, if you had this equipment and you knew it could help, why didn't you install it years ago? Mm-hmm. You know, and had it not been for the group, and I, and I truly believe this, I don't think anything would have been done, not even that. And they don't plan to do anything additional, is mm-hmm. what they say in all their mm-hmm. correspondence to the EPA. They've also told the EPA that they could never reach that standard. I'll admit that readings have gone down some, but nowhere near what the EPA has suggested that it should be. It's like they just don't care. And the local officials, they're looking to the LDEQ. Mm-hmm. LDEQ is calling us names. Mm-hmm. So it's like they're calling us mm-hmm. names. You know, we have mm-hmm. only one of our local representatives that actually is standing up with us. Mm-hmm. The rest are just being silent. And so even with that process they put in place, the levels and the risk of exposure are still the highest in the country. They, right? They're still high. And that's the only plant in the country. There's more that can be done. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not a scientist or an engineer or doctor. Mm-hmm. You know, they always say, well, you can't prove that the cancer or the other illnesses are because of our facility and the emissions. Well, you can't prove that it's not. So I think it's your responsibility that some medical monitoring, you know, is done. Do some studies over a 70-year period of exposure. Mm -hmm. Well, Walter was 67 when he passed away. The plant came in 69. He was 18 years old. Mm -hmm. So that's a long time. That's Mm -hmm. almost that 70-year span. So look what happened in that 70-year span. So you have the march coming up in May. You are going to be calling on the governor to take some action. First of all, can you tell us who is involved in that march and how are you organizing it? And then tell us about what some of your demands are for Cancer Alley. Well, we form a coalition called Coalition Against Death Alley. The leaders of the march are Rye St. James and Concerned Citizens of St. John. We have other organizations that came along to help us with the march. And we are asking the governor, like Fadenka, to lower the emissions. And we are asking the governor to not let Formosa come into St. James. And we have, we have about three or four more demands. So Formosa is one new facility that's come in. And I should say that the Bayou Bridge Pipeline, which is connected to the Dakota Access Pipeline Network and is run by the same company, Energy Transfer Partners, is running from the town where I'm from, Lake Charles, Louisiana. In fact, it runs along the end of the road where I grew up and a mile from where my mom lives now. And it's ending right in your backyard, Sharon. And it's going to be pumping an additional 500,000 barrels of oil uh, a day into St. James, which means it's going to bring more industry, right? Yes. And so that fight is still ongoing, although the pipeline is complete at this point, but there are still some legal battles being fought around that. Mm-hmm. 
But what you're seeing now is Formosa, the $9.3 billion plastics plant trying to come in, and you've got how many more lined up behind them trying to come in? On on the West Bank, we have another one called Sengas. Mm-hmm. That's gonna that's supposed to come in also. The Louisiana methanol plant, they are waiting on some kind of permit, I heard. And we have one on the east side, it's called Wan Wan. Mm-hmm. That one is trying to come in. We have a meeting on the 29th, mm-hmm. so they're going to vote for it or against it. But our parish council already voted for Formosa to come in. So we have to go to the meeting on the 29th to see what they're going to do. The planning use commission people voted for uh, Sengas to come in. And then they're going to vote for Wanu. So we're still protesting against that. Mm-hmm. We are doing a petition asking them not to vote for Wanu to come in. And then we're doing a petition also not to give a permit to send gas. So that's going on now as I speak in St. James Parish. And what are you calling for at this point in St. John the Baptist Parish, Lydia, with regard to Danko? For almost three years now, we've been asking them, well, demanding that they reduce emissions you know, to safe levels. Uh, there's a school, well, a couple of schools that are only 1,500 feet from the plant, and it's little kids. Just this year, the ages or the, the grades would change from kindergarten to eighth grade. Now it's the babies that are there from pre-K to fourth grade. So these kids are being exposed daily. And not only that, the school is so close, they live in the vicinity as well. And the school board has told us that after a two-month study, I don't know what kind of study they did, but they said there's no place in the parish that's safe. Okay, so you stop at that. So what are you doing about that? They're not taking the stands either. So we want them put up or shut up at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, you put in place what you need to get the emissions down or you shut up and get out. It was DuPont. And then they sold to Dink in 2015, the end of 2015. Well, DuPont was given standards that they had to meet when they were in Kentucky producing 60% of the neoprene, the chloroprene. And in St. John Parish, it was 40%. When they closed down in Kentucky, now we have the 100% that they're producing. They won't cut production because that was stated by head of LDEQ at one of the council meetings that that was possibly still on the table. And the next Local publication that came out, Dinka stated emphatically that we are not cutting production. Being the only company in the country, what reason do they have to cut production or to reduce anything? They're making money. They don't care about us. That community has been there for over 150 years or more because we celebrated a few years ago, 150 years. The Catholic Church that's right there on the fence line practically is over 80 years old. That community has been a thriving community for all these years. DuPont came in in 1964. They started the production of the neoprene in 1969. We were there before you came. You should want to be a good neighbor, but they have no incentive to be good neighbors. Nobody's forcing them to, but we're going to stand up and be heard. You have to do better. So now it's time you have to do it. You know, there are certain demands that we're making now. We didn't initially start with the idea of close down the plant. We know it's people's livelihoods. 
you want to take food off of anybody's table, but you have to be responsible to do what's right. So back to this march. So the march is starting where well, you are in yes, St. John in the St. Baptist John's Parish. Parish. It's going up to uh, Baton Rouge, which is the state capital, which is the northern point of Cancer Alley. And you've got women with you here who are from Baton Rouge, both ends of Cancer Alley and some in between. So you're going to be calling on the governor. You're going to be calling on the state agencies and trying to raise awareness about this, make folks do the right thing. But stepping back from that for a minute, you've talked about your family histories in these communities and why this is such an important fight and struggle for you and your families. Can you say a little bit about what you would like to see for the future in your communities, if you could see them beyond the struggle, and if you've solved these problems and you've successfully challenged and changed hearts and minds, what does your community look and feel like in the future? I would like for the 5th District in St. James Parish to be rebuilt. I would like for the church that I've been going to ever since I was baptized to stay open. The church that I go to is St. James Catholic Church. It has been there for 252 years. And I feel if the industry take over our town and we have to move out, we can't go to the church because we have to move far away so the church will eventually close. But I feel like if we fight and everybody would get on board with us in St. James, I think we can help restore our community. And my daughter that moved away because of her headaches, mm-hmm. she might would come back to St. James. And I would love that. And uh, I, I love when they all come home and we're out in the yard playing on the green grass and picking pecans when it's pecan season. I love that. I would like for it to be flourishing again. I would like to be out in the open space and make our gardens again, plant our fruit trees again, because all of that has been destroyed. So I would like for it to come back to the way it was before the industry came. Because the first industry came in 1969, I think. My daddy welcomed the industry because he thought it would bring jobs and production, not knowing in the future it would be harmful to our health. So we want to restore our health. We want to restore our community and bring people back to live back in St. James. That's what I would like to see. The state's called the sportsman's paradise. That's what's on our license plates. But I don't think it's that anymore. They're pumping all kinds of stuff into the wells, into the water, the air. So how can you go out and fish and hunt and do these things when the water, air, and soil is being destroyed by these companies? So... You know, like she said, there's always room for progress. And we're not saying that the plants that are there now, we want them to disappear. We know there's no way they're all going to disappear. But be responsible and be good neighbors. Look at the effects that what you're doing, what you're exposing the people to. You know, the quality of life is not what it once was. And as Sharon said, The plants come in and you're looking at that, oh, there's going to be jobs for people in the community. And when you look at it, you see cars coming in and cars leaving out. 
the people that have the jobs, the majority of them don't live in the areas. They come in, go to work, and then leave and go home. They don't have to stay here and breathe the air that we are breathing, being exposed mm -hmm. to. They may get exposure in the plant, but that's a price they have to pay. That's on their conscience of, you know, I have to work here and they have to do what's best that they think for their families. Mm -hmm. But that's not what's best for my family. I can't sit in my yard and throw trash and burn and throw dirty water into my neighbor's property. I would probably go to jail. So why are they allowed to do the same thing to their neighbors? So I think that's all the time we have, but it's been great speaking with you. We appreciate your time and that you came all the way to New York to help tell this story and get the word out and wish you the best of luck with the films and hope they get seen by many, many people and that your message gets out far and wide. And we look forward to stay in touch on these developments in this march. That's a long time coming. I, we were just talking earlier about there was a march back in 1989 raising these same issues, the health impacts of these industries on people living in this area. And now here we are 30 years later and you're carrying the fight forward. And we wish you the best with it and look forward to staying in touch as you move this fight forward. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now a roundup of some of the headlines here at CCR. On April 28th, we marked the 15th anniversary of the release of images of Iraqis tortured at Abu Ghraib. As Activist Files listeners know, our case against the private military contractor Khaki, who played a major role in the torture and abuse at the prison, was supposed to go to trial last month. Instead, Khaki filed a new appeal, which led to the suspension of our trial date. The case is moving forward and briefing before the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals is underway. If you haven't yet, make sure to listen to last month's episode, Justice for Abu Ghraib. The television show Full Frontal with Samantha Bee traveled to Djibouti with Center for Constitutional Rights staff attorney Diala Shamas to meet with Yemeni-American families who were stuck in limbo because their visas were denied as a result of the Trump administration's Muslim ban. The episode, which aired in April, highlighted the arbitrary and absurd visa waiver process and how it is another cruel form of family separation. Samantha B. concludes that the only consistently successful recourse for families with frozen applications is increased media attention. And indeed, three of the four families interviewed on her show have since had their visas granted. The International Criminal Court has refused to investigate crimes in Afghanistan, including U.S. torture. Tens of thousands of victims in Afghanistan, along with survivors of U.S. torture, had urged the ICC to authorize the investigation, and the Center for Constitutional Rights had been part of that effort. The Trump administration exerted enormous pressure, even preventing the ICC prosecutor from traveling to the United States. Then, despite finding that requirements were met, the pre-trial judges decided that authorizing an investigation would not serve, quote, the interests of justice, end quote. Basically, they caved. In April, we also filed a Freedom of Information Act request with the organization No More Deaths. We are seeking documents regarding the Border Patrol's role in responding to requests for emergency assistance along the U.S.-Mexico border, an area famous for its migrant death toll. Between 1998 and 2015, more than 6,500 migrants died on the U.S. side of the border, primarily from environmental heat exposure. Many more remain uncounted. Given the Border Patrol's well-documented history of abuse, we want to know if and how Border Patrol might be failing to prevent or even contributing 
to those deaths. CSER Advocacy Program Manager Nahal Zamani testified before the New York City Council last month at a hearing on the impact of marijuana policies on child welfare. Nahal highlighted the discriminatory targeting of Black women and their newborns for drug testing. She went into the impact of child protection investigations and potential removals on the basis of mere marijuana use. She argued for the need for a harm reduction approach in the healthcare setting that reduces and ultimately ends stigma and raise the disconnect between this practice and the national conversation to legalize marijuana. The Center for Constitutional Rights supports a legislative package that includes two bills that increase public reporting on the prevalence of this practice and two resolutions that urge policy and legislative changes that would end its harmful impact. I just need you to say the real AF. The real AF. It's the real AF. I'm here with my co-host, Aaliyah, and our guests are two of our amazing Birth of Justice fellows, Lupe Aguirre and Aya Saeed. And we are going to ask you some questions. Are you ready? Yes. Yes. As ready as I can be. (laughs) They're going to be really hard. Would you rather watch your favorite TV show as it airs on TV or wait until the season's over to binge watch? Binging? So if you gave me Game of Thrones all at once, I'm going to watch it all at once, even though it's probably too much trauma. (laughs) Like, you can't watch Insecure without live tweeting. I've never been super into Game of Thrones, but now it's like I'm watching it as everybody else, and it's intense, and you see how much people, like, talk and refer to it. Right. Yeah. Speaking of Game of Thrones, because it sounds like there are some people who know what's up, <laughs> would you rather control fire or ice? Oh, fire, of course. I don't know what you would do with ice. And you can heat your food up. And you can, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, it's a no-brainer. Would you rather be in a survival reality show or a dating <laughs> game show? Oh, oh my God. Neither. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like misery. Which one? Wait, dating or survival? Yeah. Maybe this is a little too dark, but there have been at least one serial killer on a dating show, so maybe the survival. Oh God, <laughs> Would you rather hang out with your past self or your future self? That's a deep question. Because I can console past self, but I need some consolation from future self. I think past self. I don't really want to know what future self is like. I'd rather be intrigued. Yeah, I'll take that answer. I don't do you rather have a pet bear or a pet lion? Oh, M-G. both. Both? <laughs> Can I have all the animals, all the pets? Wait. Okay. Let's be clear. A bear and a lion are not pets. You want both? Yeah. I mean, oh, I'm, I'm imagining like cubs, but I guess full grown. Lupe, you would die. Baby, my pet. Yeah, Lupe's into it. It's cool. You're not. Right. Lupe is. All right. Totally Sorry, fine. I love animals. Totally <laughs> Would you rather play a role in a rom-com or an action film? Action film. Rom-com. Why? I just feel like it'd be so much funner. You know, there's so many. We're laughing all the time. Someone at the end of the day will fall in love and have a happily Mm -hmm. ever after. Same, same. I'm in that boat. All right, I'm with you on this action film, so talk about why you... I think it's the uh, Californian in me, like the outdoorsy kind of like... You know, wants to like be like physically active and like looking good, and so 
<laughs> Wearing some leather, maybe. Oh. Yeah, like whipping. Which you can do in a rom com, too. You can do that in a rom com, too. Oh, the outfits, I forgot. Great. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, that's great.